Hi, I'm Antonia, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Micah, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Jane, I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Savannah, a student midwife. Hi, I'm Lucy, and I'm a midwifery support worker. Hello, my name's Gul Barno, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Abby, and I'm a midwife. Hello, I'm Gemma Murphy and you're very welcome to the second episode in our second series for 2022 and this month we're talking pensions and pay. Members always tell us, you know, staffing shortages and workload are absolutely key for them because, you know, where, where there are staffing shortages, that increases people's workload, it means people are not able to access breaks. They are working extra hours unpaid and that's a real that's a really common picture and what we do know from member surveys is that one of the things that could persuade members to stay in the NHS would be better pay. That was the RCM's Alice Sorby who we'll hear more from later in the episode on what the RCM is doing to improve pay for members across the UK. We'll also hear more on the next steps for our Deliver a Decent Deal pay campaign, but it's pensions we're focusing on first. It's fair to say most people don't think about pensions early on in their career when they start working in the NHS as a midwife or maternity support worker and others get really concerned about it closer to their retirement age. I know personally I'm not an NHS worker but when I was in my early 20s I didn't think much about my pension pot or what I might have when I retired. As I get closer to 40, it's becoming more and more of a worry for me. I know lots of midwives out there listening are also thinking about their pension and what they may need in the future. So I am delighted to be joined by Lynn Galvin, who's the acting regional head for the North of England and one of the RCM's lead on pensions. How are you, Lynn? I'm all right. Thank you, Gemma. Was that a fair introduction? Would you say many younger members or those early on in their career don't think about their pension too much? I think you're absolutely right there, Gemma. Yeah, definitely. The the younger age group certainly don't think about getting old, don't think about ever having to retire. Um, I think it's mainly the people that are coming closer to retirement that start to consider what's in the pension pot and when can I retire? Absolutely. Now, there are big changes afoot in April. But before we get to that, I want to say that you've written a number of really good blogs, breaking all the changes down and the considerations people need to take into account on the website rcm.org.uk, where you'll find guidance and advice there. But during the kind of past year or so, you've also been kind of I guess, attending branch meetings and there's been special webinars around pensions and there's been kind of a a steady stream of similar questions, hasn't there, Lynn? Yeah, there has. So so we've been trying to keep our members updated as much as we can on the changes that are happening this year to the NHS pension scheme. And so, yeah, we've run a number of webinars and we've run a number of branch meetings where we've I've attended to. I've got a very nice presentation that kind of takes you on the journey of where did the NHS pension come from and how has it evolved over the years and what's influenced the changes that have happened to it. So, yeah, they've been well received and we've had a number of questions that have come out of those. And what will actually happen, Lynn, from this April to the pension scheme for our members? So from April of this year, there's going to be a new scheme that's going to be applicable to all members. 
Now, this is going to be, it's what's called the 2015 scheme. And it's called the 2015 scheme because actually it was introduced in 2015, but not everybody transferred into it at that time. Who would have transferred, Lynn, at the 2015 point? So the people who transferred at 2015 were the people that were not near to their retirement age. So there was an agreement that from 2012, anybody that was within 10 years of their normal retirement age or anybody that sat just outside of that between 10 and 14 years of their normal retirement age, they were protected from going into the 2015 scheme at that point. So they did not transfer automatically. But from April of this year, everybody is going to transfer into it. So there's going to be no further protection. That's when it's going to start. So talk talk about the normal kind of pension age in the NHS. And I know that can vary dependent on, on different areas, but we're talking about midwives and maternity support workers here. What's the kind of normal age? So for the 2015 scheme, the normal pension age is going to be equal to the state pension age. And that's going to be either 66, 67 or 68, dependent on your year of birth. So just as a guideline, if you were born in 1978, your normal pension age is going to be 68. Okay, right. Now, I guess it's important to point out at this stage, like we have lots of general advice and guidance and you've been really meticulous in going through everything in terms of consultations, but we can't give individual advice to people listening. No, we can't. That's correct. So what I can do is I can talk through scenarios and tell members about the changes and how it's going to affect them. But what they do need to do is look at their individual pension journey. And the way that they can do that is by accessing their statement and their pension statement can be accessed via ESR or by contacting the NHS Business Services Authority, and they're the people who administer the NHS pension scheme, they would be able to give you the statement if you can't access it through your ESR systems. And again, it's fair to say we have links to to those services on the RCM's website that members can jump on the website and go directly to where you're pointing them to. Now, let's talk about, I guess, what would happen to, say, a pension that members have already built up over the years? Is that protected? Yes. So when the changes happen on the 1st of April 2022, anything that has built up in your original pension schemes is frozen and it is protected. And the the benefits uh, that are attached to that scheme are also protected. I mean, that's really good news, isn't it? Because, you know, you you do you would wonder, are there going to be changes that might, you know, you've you've had this little nest egg built up your little pension pot, but that's all going to be intact. Yes, it is. So if, for example, you've got some benefits in the 1995 scheme, you're going to retain the right to be able to retire with a final salary. So there still is a link to your final salary, even if your pension's been frozen for a few years before you retire, you still keep that final salary link and you will still be able to get an automatic entitlement to a lump sum with the 95 scheme. And you, you would still retain the ability to retire at the pension age for that that scheme. So if you had special class status, that would be 55. 
If you didn't have special class status, then that would be 60 for that 95 pot of benefits that's frozen and protected. Okay, so I mean, I feel like it's pension for dummies when you're talking to me. <laughs> Thank you very much for explaining it so clearly. So basically, members in the 1995 scheme will not lose their pension sum. And when they join the new scheme in April, that will be protected. That's right. Yeah, absolutely right. Everything is frozen and it's protected. Yeah. But what you won't be doing is you won't then be putting any more money into that pot because from 2022, from April 2022, the the pension is then built up on on a very different footing. So the 2015 scheme is what we call a career average revalued scheme. And what that means is every year that you you go through your career, you contribute into the scheme on an average basis. So the um, the fraction of your pensionable earnings that you contribute is one fifty fourth. So every year, one fifty fourth of your pensionable earnings is set aside for your pension. And the revalued element of it is that the um, inflation is added. So they add it it in relation to the consumer price index. So that's added plus 1.5%. So it's not purely your 154th of your pensionable earnings. It's with those two elements on top. And that's revalued every year. So your pension pot builds up gradually as you go through your career. And I guess just when you're talking about the 154th, et cetera, and I'm thinking of somebody or or myself or anybody listening, looking at their pay slip where you see your monthly pension contributions and your salary, I guess if you were having trouble understanding those, it, it's fair to say you can talk to your employer about that as well, can't you? You, you could do. You could talk to your employer or you can contact the NHS Business Services Authorities directly and they are more than happy to, to look at your individual journey and have a conversation with you about uh, your queries about your own pension. OK, so we've always kind of been involved at the RCM in consultations on, on every level and, and pensions are no exception. But there's been kind of lots of chatter in the last number of months about the McLeod judgment. What exactly is that and how were the RCM responding to that consultation, Lynn? So if you remember earlier, I talked about some members of the scheme getting protection in 2012. So they didn't then automatically move into the 2015 scheme in 2015. So that that protection was challenged by the firefighters and the judges. So that's where McLeod comes from. It's one of those cases. They put forward that that was discriminatory on the grounds of age because essentially the younger workforce were automatically transferred without any option. But the older workforce were protected and weren't moved. Which is unfair. Yes. And the Court of Appeal absolutely agreed with that. So that they determined that that was discriminatory on the grounds of age. And so what the government have now had to do is they've had to correct that discrimination. And the period of time that they've had to correct it for is the is the protected period of time. So from 2012 to 2022, which is the 10 years of protection that the older workforce got, that's the period of time that they've had to remedy. 
So anybody who had automatically transferred into the 2015 scheme in 2015, they are going to be given the option to transfer their benefits back into their old scheme at the point that they retire. And the reason they're leaving it until the point that they retire is because you know, there's there's lots of different changes that might happen in your career. So you might take a promotion, you might drop your hours, you might drop down to a lower band, and that might affect the decision as to whether or not you keep those benefits in the 2015 scheme or you move those benefits back into your old scheme. So there's lots of different variables, but basically that's what it's about. Okay, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because you're right, people do change. They change their banding or they might get a promotion or they might become a a mother or a parent and and, and step down to part-time. So that makes absolute sense. Where should members, I think we've touched on this already, but where should members go to find out about their own individual pension? As we said, we can't give individual pension advice on this podcast as much as we'd love to it's just everybody's circumstances are very different yeah so via ESR is the easy answer so their electronic staff record so you should be able to to access what they call the total reward statement and the top within the total reward statement is the pension statement so that's where you would go if your trust facilitates that via ESR If they don't, then you can email the NHS Business Services Authority and they can they'll give you a gateway password and then that allows you to access your pension statement through them. Brilliant. Now, we talked about the webinars and the branch meetings you attended, Lynn, and and, and some of the really key questions, which we've just covered there that were asked by members. But I just wanted to point out as well, we have a section on the RCM's website in our supporting pension section about saving enough to stop working. So people who are considering retiring or just looking ahead, they can actually look at a really good webinar by Zoe Sandler. She was an actuary. Is that right? Yes, from First Actuarial, yeah. And that's a really, really useful webinar because it it, it doesn't specifically talk about NHS pensions, but it talks about how much money will I need to live on when I'm not working. And it talks about, you know, saving for the future and thinking long term rather than, you know, not giving any consideration to what you might need at the point of retirement. Yeah, I watched some highlights of it and I found it really helpful. I definitely recommend people listening to watch that. So, Lynn, during the pandemic, lots of midwives and and those who'd worked in the NHS previously came came back following a call. There was a call for those who had retired or were not working in service anymore and still had the registration to come back, help pressurised services and and support midwives. And they absolutely did. And they weren't going to lose any of their pension entitlements for coming back. Is that right? Yes, that's absolutely right, Gemma. So um, what happened as part of the emergency legislation related to COVID um, was that they um, suspended what they call the abatement rules. Um, The abatement rules basically mean that if you're in the 1995 scheme and you retire with special class status at 55, you can't earn more with what you're getting from your pension and the hours that you work in your employment than you did when before you retired. So the abatement rules made sure that that salary plus the pension wasn't more. And if you did work more, 
they reduced your pension. So okay. part of the emergency legislation was that they paused the abatement rules. Okay. Now, that meant that lots of people who had taken flexible retirement could work more hours to help the service. And indeed, they did. We know from lots of heads of midwifery that people had stepped up to the mark and worked lots more hours that, than they, they would have been able to do with the abatement rules. Now, the abatement rules as part of this emergency legislation were going to be brought back into force in March. And we felt that that was uh, really tricky because there's still issues with workforce. We're still concerned about numbers of midwives. So we actually wrote to the Secretary of State for Health asking him to extend that pause. And we found out last week that he is doing that. So there's a, there's a very short consultation going on now, but, but essentially the government will extend the abatement pause until October of this year, which is a huge relief because we will still be able to keep those people in service. Absolutely. I have to say that's a win for our members, you know, those people who selflessly went back into service to have that protection in place and a win for the RCM, really. We're confident that this is going to happen. It's literally they need to consult because they're now going to change those emergency regulations again. So they need to do a formal process for that. And we will let members know in our weekly or fortnightly member emails what's happening with the abatement rule. We will. Now we're talking about stepping, you know, stepping down and winding down and we're coming towards the end of our time on the podcast. Not it won't be your your last time, I hope, Lynn, on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's fair to say, isn't it? The workforce, the maternity workforce, midwives are under incredible pressure at the moment. There's really well reported shortages. We know in England alone, we're 2000 midwives short of what we need to be delivering safe services. The pressure is immense. But there are some midwives who've stayed on a little bit longer to help out during the pandemic or help out during staffing shortfalls who may be envisaged not being still in the NHS. And they might want to step down now or wind down into part time. What would be your message to them if they're listening, Lynn, about with regard to their pension, obviously? Uh, This is something that we have started to focus on and started to talk about a lot more because you're absolutely right, Gemma. We we do know that there's shortfalls in midwifery. And what we don't want to happen is that because people are worried about the pension changes that are coming in in April, their knee-jerk reaction is, well, I'm going to retire and take my benefits because I'm frightened that I'm going to lose them. Um, so what what is available to members of the pension scheme is a number of flexibilities that that support you to work longer. So you're absolutely right. There is step down and step down means dropping down a band to take on less responsibility to 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 help to support you to continue working. And if anybody is worried about the final salary link and their frozen 1995 benefits, then they needn't because you can actually protect your final salary link at your higher band before you step down. So there's no need to worry about that. That is a possibility. So it'll keep that higher salary link for your 95 benefits. But there's also wind down, as you've said, and that means kind of going part time and but continuing to contribute to the pension scheme. So it means you're continuing to build up your benefits in your 2015 scheme as you drop down your hours and, you know, gradually take a little bit more of of a backseat. 
And there's an option also that's available to the 2015 scheme. It's not available to the 95 scheme, but it's called drawdown. So once you've reached your minimum pension age, then what you can do is you can take some of your pension benefits, but you can continue to work. So on two occasions, you can take between 20% and 80% of what's in your pension pot, and so, but you can keep working. So you're not retiring completely. So say, for example, you've done wind down, but you then think, I, I just, I need some extra money. You can then do drawdown. So, you know, it helps to support you to work longer in the NHS. And they desperately need more midwives working longer, of course. I think that's a real, listening to how you describe that, I think that's a real relief for some people listening because you've, you've retired or, you know, you, you still have access to your pension, but you can still earn money and not lose your overall pension value, which is is really good, actually, Lynn, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, it's, a, it's a benefit, yeah. And on that lovely note, with that little bit of good news, Lynn, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. And I hope that we'll talk later on in the year. Thank you, Gemma. Now, before we move on to pay and to hear more about what the RCM is doing to keep the pressure on the government to improve pay for all our members right across the UK, it's probably a good time to remind you that you may want to stay up to date with all the latest news from the RCM. This comes in weekly and fortnightly emailed newsletters. So you need to make sure that you've chosen the correct preferences that you're receiving to opt in for our emails. You can do this by updating your details. Make sure we've got your most up-to-date email address and you've chosen the right preferences, you can do this on our website with your membership number on www.rcm.org.uk. Now to pay we go. I'm delighted to be joined by Alice Sorby, Employment Relations Advisor at the Royal College of Midwives. Alice, it's not your first time on the podcast because we spoke last spring because you are forever working on all things pay. I am indeed, yeah. It's really nice to be back. Thank you, Jim. I can't believe it's nearly probably a year ago, isn't it? It was a year ago, but I guess it's important to say as well, the work hasn't stopped because they were primarily one-year pay settlements, weren't they, right across the UK? They were, yeah. And I think because of the delays, and I know we'll talk a little bit later about the picture across the UK, but yeah, it definitely seemed to be ongoing throughout the year, didn't it? And I'm sure we'll be the same again this year. Yeah, and we're going to talk next steps for the Deliver a Decent Deal campaign and what's happening for the 2022-2023 pay round in a while. But I must ask you about the settlements in all four countries, really, that have just been sorted. And we are consulting at the moment with members in Northern Ireland. We are, yes. So I think increasingly we see across the UK sort of slightly different a slightly different picture on pay don't we so in Scotland last year pay was decided by collective bargaining and that will be the same this year Um, in Northern Ireland and Wales and England we have the pay review body process so we do know that there will be there is a remit for the pay review body process in England, Northern Ireland and Wales this year. And last year it was the same, but a slightly sort of uneven picture because you'll remember that the pay rise was announced very late 
in England last year. So I think it was in July, wasn't it, when it was announced that the Westminster government would implement the PRB's recommendation of 3%. And then what happened in Northern Ireland and Wales, eventually those governments accepted that pay review body recommendation there as well. But both those governments then went on to look at different enhancements to that 3% as well. And you're right that in Northern Ireland, it is only now that we're actually asking for members' views about what's happening there. But I mean, all of the detail of that is on the RCM website. Because they, the members in Northern Ireland only received their pay settlement literally in the first couple of weeks of, of January, which is so late. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, the back pay is still to come, although it may have been by the time this podcast is is out. So, yeah, I mean, we, we have seen for a number of years now that our members in Northern Ireland have been later than the rest of the UK in receiving their pay rise. So let's have a look and let's chat about 2023. So the campaign, our campaign actually started back in November. Is that right? It is, yeah. So it was in November of last year when we wrote to the Prime Minister and it was then we officially said, you know, RCM members were not happy with a 3% pay rise. 3% was an inadequate pay rise. However, you know, members were very demoralised. They were under pressure. They're short-staffed in the same way that they are now. And it was decided then that the campaign should focus on getting a pay rise for members in the upcoming pay round, so 22-23 pay round. And that was sort of us signalling to Boris Johnson that we want to look forward on pay now. Yeah, you just touched on the, the recruitment and retention issues and the staffing shortages. And obviously there's lots of different parts to that and it's a moving situation all the time, but it's not getting any better. And I guess a, a pay rise you know, a decent pay rise would maybe stop members who are considering looking for the door and they would may stay in the NHS working. Yeah, definitely. When we talk to RCM members, members always tell us, you know, staffing shortages and workload are absolutely key for them because they're you know where where there are staffing shortages that increases people's workload it means people are not able to access breaks they are working extra hours unpaid and that's a real that's a really common picture and what we do know from member surveys is that one of the things that could persuade members to stay in the NHS would be better pay so actually by improving pay for NHS staff you kind of addressing that vicious cycle aren't you because if you can keep staff in the NHS who may otherwise leave then that helps with the staffing shortages and and hopefully can can improve things for our members. Yeah and I guess as well it helps with recruitment you know when you have people looking to get into midwifery and they're looking how much a starting salary is or what band they could potentially go up to considering pay for most people now whatever their age is a really big thing before applying for a job or deciding to study as a midwife. Absolutely I think particularly this year because you know it is in the news all the time isn't it rising energy costs national insurance contribution increase coming up potentially increases for pension contributions for some people actually the cost of living is something that is a real worry for people everyone at the moment and NHS staff included so I think that it's particularly key this year that we we 
address pay in the NHS because actually our members need to be able to afford to live and afford to be able to work in the NHS, don't they, in a time of rapidly rising costs. Yeah, and I've recently read, and I'm sure people listening have too, some real harrowing stories of midwives, you know, struggling to pay their bills, uh, struggling to feed their families. And in this day and age, when you're working that hard, you really should be able to afford to to put food on the table and live a relatively comfortable life. It's, It's really sad. Now, you've spent a lot of time in the last couple of months putting together the RCM submission to the pay review body, which is really important because, as we've mentioned, the pay review body set the recommendation for pay. So it was the 28th of January, if I'm right, at the end of January was the deadline for the evidence? It was the end of January. It was a Monday. Was it the 28th? It's all merging into one. Yeah, yeah. it was was in the last couple of weeks anyway. But you made a number of really important arguments on behalf of our members, Alice, within that evidence to the pay review body. Yeah, so I think what we do is in our pay review body evidence, we divide that into three main areas. So we talk about the shortage of staff. We talk about recruitment and retention. We talk about actually morale and motivation of midwives and maternity support workers. And then we look at some of the sort of financial economic stuff that I've just spoken about. So this year we were focusing on the fact that the number of midwives, the number of full-time equivalent midwives in England is actually falling for the first time since since records began. So since NHS Digital started publishing that data, uh, over half of respondents to one of our surveys told us that they were considering leaving the NHS. And a lot of those said they would do so in the next year. We know that Heads of midwifery are finding it increasingly difficult to recruit to vacancies. That came through in our heads of midwifery survey. Morale and motivation, really poor at the moment. 97% of respondents to our heads of midwifery survey told us that they rely on either a significant or moderate amount of goodwill from their staff. And that's significantly worse than in previous years. Like you said, you've mentioned as well how people feel valued. Our members have told us they do not feel valued by the government and last year's pay award was not good enough. So they're the kind of arguments that we use to the pay review body, alongside some of the stuff that I've just spoke, spoken about, about rising prices, cost, cost of living and that sort of thing. The other thing I want to say, and I don't want to go on too much, but you know I love to talk about this, is we're also talking about the fact that the government can act now the pay review body process will make a recommendation on a pay award, but actually the government has the ability to act now and put in an urgent retention package in the NHS to really address the the kind of chronic shortages that we see across, across the NHS as well. And that's what we've been saying with the other trade unions as well as in our individual evidence. And the government won't like the RCM saying that, pointing out that they could just push the whole PRB process to the side and, like you said, act now, because that's shocking. Just when you're telling me that 97% of heads of midwifery in the UK are saying they're relying on the goodwill of staff, that will really break a workforce, won't it? Because how much more goodwill can you give when you're absolutely exhausted? Exactly. And I think I think we have to remember that COVID hasn't gone away as well. And actually, you know, staff shortages in the NHS are not a COVID issue. This is longstanding. We've been talking about the shortage of midwives for years, haven't we? But the extra pressure 
and stress that our members have been under over the past two years because of COVID hasn't gone away either. No, and actually, it's it's probably a good point in time to say, if you want to read the evidence that Alice and the RCM submitted to the PRB, it is on our website, rcm.org.uk, and you can really delve into the detail that we've talked about there. Alice, okay, so there's two stages, isn't there, to the PRB process, whether we like it or not, we are part of it at the moment. So we've submitted the evidence, but there is an oral session happening in March. There is, yes. So the oral evidence session is our opportunity to actually talk to the PRB, to actually delve into a bit more of what we are saying and influence the recommendation that that they are going to make. So we will be talking to the PRB at the start of March, and that will be myself so as a member of RCM staff. But we also take two RCM board members to that session as well. And they're board members who are workplace representatives. So it's a really important opportunity for people that are working as midwives and maternity support workers to be able to really talk to the PRB and tell them about the actual lived experience of working in the NHS. It's really important. And that's like a a key focus and a key highlight of our campaign. There are other things happening, though, because it's not a quite month or two months. There's lots going on with the Deliver a Decent Deal campaign. It is, yeah, because I think we've got to remember that, you know, the pay review body process is is a very important part of of the pay round. But also, you know, we need members to be engaged. We want to be talking to members. We want members to be putting pressure on around pay as well as part of that campaign. So there are a few different things we're doing. We are planning some virtual pay events. So please keep an eye out for details of those coming on later in the spring. We are also supporting some rallies that are organised by SOS NHS, which is a group of trade unions and campaign groups there on the 26th of February again see links on the RCM website as well and I'm sure that there will be opportunities to sort of get involved with talking to politicians to put the pressure on there as well so really it's about shouting as loudly as we can about pay and actually talking to members about how members are feeling and and how we can take the campaign forward. And we do have a pay hub again on the RCM website, which all members, not only activists, can, you know, dip into. And there's various resources that you can use and information about how you can lobby your MP templates to save you from writing it. Because we know how busy midwives and all maternity staff are right now. And just to say the virtual pay events, Alice, is it true in saying that they'll be dotted around the country so they won't just be in England? Yes. So we are not going to be just focused on England, because as I said earlier, we are very conscious that increasingly there is like a slightly different picture on pay across the UK so we want to make sure that we are listening and talking to our members all across all across the UK so yes please do keep an eye out. And I must say as well, you might not like me advertising this, but you have attended a number of branch meetings and you have done for for many years at the RCM talking about pay. You're always flying the flag. And I think there is an opportunity for members to to ask you or other members of the RCM team, our officers and organisers about pay and what the RCM is doing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'm always happy to come to RCM branch meetings. And it's I think it's so important as a trade union, we work together with our members and that our members are really engaged in the pay campaign because ultimately we're not 
anything without without our members are we so yeah it's great to come to RCM branch meetings and I know most all RCM staff feel exactly the same yeah that's so true and even when we were seeking members views on on the various pay settlements in all the countries actually the views of RCM members informed the direction of campaigns particularly campaigns like this yeah, exa- exactly. We listen to what our members are saying and then we speak to the RCM board and that is that is how the decision is made around how we take our campaigns forward. So yeah, it's absolutely really important. I guess if I'm a midwife or member of the RCM listening now, I want to know when is my next pay rise going to come? Will the government drag their heels again? Do we have a crystal ball? Can we give a timeline on that? Well, I sincerely hope it isn't as late as it was last year. It's interesting that the Secretary of State, when he wrote to the pay review body to formally commence the pay round for 2022-23, he said that in that letter that he expected to receive the pay review body's report in May. Now, I'm sure lots of members will be thinking, but my pay rise is due on the 1st of April. Yeah. <laughs> which yes it is so that is the timeline that we we expect we expect that the government should receive that report from the PRB in May and then hopefully that would be announced by the government pretty quickly but as we saw last year it's the government's the government will will make a decision as to when that announcement is made but of course we will as the RCM and with the other trade unions to be really keeping up the pressure to get that announcement made as soon as possible because it's it's not a good situation to be in that again we are looking at a delay to, to members pay rise because it, it last year that's what happened last year isn't it and and has done for a number of years yeah it's really unfair for those on the front line you mentioned the other unions, and I think it's really important to say while we are strong on our own, we are also exceptionally strong when we join with the 14 unions. We are one of 14 unions representing over a million NHS workers. And that work and actually the work that we do collectively is really helpful in pushing the government along and applying pressure publicly as well. Definitely. We absolutely work with the other NHS trade unions. We submit a joint evidence with those trade unions. And you will see on social media, there is the joint union campaign with NHS staff that I know you're really involved with as well, aren't you, Gemma? So, yeah, it's absolutely really important that we work together. And if you're listening and you're using uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook or any of the other platforms, do use the hashtag Deliver a Decent Deal. That's our campaign. Or as Alice mentioned, uh, with NHS staff, hashtag with NHS staff, because we are all together in this and we do hope that we are going to deliver a better deal this year. Thanks, Gemma. Thanks, Alice. The fight is certainly not over yet to improve pay for all our members and the RCM will continue to apply pressure on the governments in all four countries so they deliver a decent deal for midwives 
and maternity support workers in this upcoming pay round. You can keep up to date with all the latest developments in the RCM's pay campaign on rcm.org.uk, where you'll find our dedicated pay hub with a timeline of latest developments and plenty of campaign resources for branches and activists to download and templates that are quite useful if you want to write to your local MP about improving pay. We've done the hard work. You can just download them because we know how busy you are. Be sure to check out the pay hub as soon as you can. Now, next month, we will turn our attention to another issue that the RCM has been campaigning hard on and shouting loudly about, and that's ensuring there are enough midwives. Right now, there simply aren't enough, and many services right across the UK are struggling with safe staffing levels. Daily midwives are under immense pressure to keep services running safely, and we'll hear from them and what the RCM is doing to ensure its members' voices are being heard when it comes to safe staffing. Until then, take care.